So, John, we've hit a big turning point. Mm-hmm. We've got a theme tune. We do. We finally have a theme tune. I know that you've already edited this into past episodes, but this is our first episode where we've got it, kind True. of. Yeah. So talk about it, John. Are you in the back of it? Yeah. yeah. Well, well, it was written and recorded by our good friend Phil Hepworth, yes. and I believe me and you are on backing vocals, if you listen very, very carefully. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite difficult to pick us out. Yeah. Um, you recorded your bit first, yeah. so I got to go in and listen to your untreated vocals and, oh, the last we had. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm, I'm just glad that we weren't recording together. That would have been no. uh, much worse. <laughs> well, apparently you were really good at the low bits and uh-huh. really uncomfortable with the high bits, uh-huh. and I was the exact opposite. Oh, so, perfect. Yeah, so it's, it's like it's like a metaphor for our podcast experience oh, and great. our lives. <laughs> great. Well, listeners, we're ready. Here's a yeah. the theme tune. Welcome everybody to Beyond the Box Set, a podcast where we pitch prequels, sequels and spin-offs to films that don't have any. I'm Harry and joining me as always is John. Hello. And this week we're doing Interview with the Vampire? Interview with the Vampire, yes. The Vampire, okay. The Vampire. Okay, so tell me, John, why did you choose this film? Was it for the wigs? Was it for the costumes? <laughs> Was it for the acting? Was it for the accents? All of the above. All, All of, of the, the above. above. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I just kind of remembered this film. I don't know why, but some, it just popped back into my head and I remember, well, this would be a fun film to do because we, I, f- I figured we haven't done a vampire film yet. And that's kind of that's quite, very true. quite a significant genre these days or sub-genre of film. You know, there's a lot, you well, know? it's become very unpopular recently in the past five years or so. But what do you mean it's become unpopular? Well, look at the Twilight films. They've really, they've ruined vampire films for a lot of people. They have, but they made a lot of money. That is true. Mm-hmm. That Are is you true. a particular fan of vampire movies? Uh, I have been in the past. I did go and see the first Twilight film in the cinema. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Well, I thought, it's a, I like vampire movies. This one looks pretty good, so let's go and watch that. And, well, I, and I watched it with four girls, <laughs> and then we went underwear shopping afterwards. It was the gayest moment of my life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that surprises me. <laughs> okay, but depressed me. How old were you when the first Twilight movie came out? Oh, I don't know, probably like 12. 12 years old, Okay. <laughs> And I would have been early teens. I early think. teens, okay. Mm. What rating are they? I guess they can't must have been like 12. Maybe, well, yeah. I guess their the whole audience is tweens. So. Mm. so what vampire films did you like before then? Though You said you already liked vampire films. So. Well, I don't know if I like vampire films per se, but uh, I did. I do remember enjoying watching Buffy. Okay. Oh, you did like Buffy? Okay. Well, when I was like five when it came out or something. Shut up. You just shut up right now. <laughs> but yeah, like vampires were cool. So yeah, sure. Yeah, this, this looks all right. Yeah, I mean, I'm very much from the generation of Buffy the Vampire, so that's what I was going to mention, because mm. um, yeah, I was a, in my very early teens when that show came out, or mm-hmm. at least when it became popular. I think mm-hmm. actually it came out in 97, so I would have been 11 when it first started airing. Three. Yes, okay, we know, we all know, <laughs> listeners, Harry's younger, you know. Um, I was too old for the Twilight. I watched the first one, and it was garbage. It was absolute <laughs> yeah. garbage. I've never really seen any of the Underworld films. Have you seen the Underworld films? Kate no. Beckinsale? No. No. They looked kind of, I don't know. Are they, are they the same as Resident Evil? No, I don't think they're the same director, but no, it's just Kate Beckinsale in like skin tight leather, just karate chopping vampires, I think. Like, mm-hmm. And they made like 17 of them, I don't know. Huh. But yeah, I don't know, there's some, I don't know what it is about vampires, but they do they do have a kind of thing that other monsters, where, where all the other monsters like werewolves and mummies kind of come across as quite cheesy. Mm. For some reason, vampires just seem to have an endless fascination for people, and there's, I guess there's something quite sexy about vampires in some way. Especially in this film. Well, in this film, that I was going to say. Yeah, what did you think of this film? Give me some initial thoughts. Well, I was waiting for the entire film for those two to kiss. Yes. And it never happened. <laughs> well, 
I would argue that it happened frequently. It, it was in, very heavily implied. I realised because I've, I've made you watch the Talibans directly and then we've done this. I was not deliberately making us just watch all the gay films of the sure, 90s. But, <laughs> sure, you're not. I remember this film being a little bit homoerotic, but I had forgotten how this film is gay. It's this film very is gay. super, super gay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did really enjoy it. Like, oh, good, good, good. Yeah. No, watching a gay film isn't it doesn't, doesn't take any enjoyment away from it for me. Oh, that, that was wonderful to hear. Yes, Thank you. yes. good. <laughs> Aren't you evolved? Um, <laughs> Unlike some bits of this film, what do you think of the bit where, just casually, he owns loads of slaves? Yeah, well, I guess that reflects the time, though. He's... Well, it reflects the time a little bit, but there's also that and the fact that none of them seem to have any speaking roles. There's at one point where they're just forming like an angry mob against him, and then he's just like, oh, yeah, sure, and just burns down the house. I mean, I know there's other reasons for that, mm-hmm. but then that's, that's all we see of that plot line of him owning slaves. Well, Tandy Newton gets a line or two. Did Who? you notice it was Tandy Newton? No. From... Um... Who's Tandy Newton? From Westworld. She played the plantation slave who tells the master that he's, she's very worried about him. And then he bites her, but he doesn't kill her. And then he hands her to the flaming pitch top. Oh, in this film? Not, not yeah. in Westworld? Not in, no, in Westworld she's the prostitute. <laughs> right. She's the prostitute Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Who's commando. Um, yeah, I remember her in Westworld. I didn't recognise her in this. Yeah, well, she's much younger. This, she would have been like 20 when this came out. But it was only when writing my idea, I realised it was Kirsten Dunst who was a uh, little girl. Oh, really? Actually... <laughs> <laughs> You don't want any supper, no? No, Michelle. We're worried about you, master. When is it that you go riding in the field? And how long since you've been to the slave quarter? Everywhere there is death. Are you still our master at all? It'll be all of it. I will not go unless you listen to me. You must, you must send away this friend of yours. The slaves, they are all frightened of him. And they're frightened of you. Mm. I thought it was interesting that Brad Pitt was supposed to be playing a Creole slave owner, and yet he did zero accent work whatsoever. Yes. Yes. That was good. (laughs) Which leads to my other question. Can Brad Pitt act? Like, you do this for every actor now. Yeah, I know. Well, he's not a bad actor. He's not Keanu Reeves. Yeah, yes, yes, he can act. Yeah, but I mean, he doesn't. He absolutely, he absolutely can. But he does. He really does sort of phone it in on a lot of films. Mm-hmm. I think this one, he was having a lot of fun. Well, they... do you not think? I feel like Tom Cruise was having the time was... of his life. We'll, Cruise... we'll we'll get to Tom Cruise. Okay, but I but I, I don't know. I, found, I guess his his whole point is he's like the he's playing this the. Um... Well, not the straight man, clearly. But the, um, <laughs> he's playing like the one with a soul, the one who's got, yeah. got who has regret and everything. So that's kind of a, a thankless role he's like. But yeah, he just felt really mopey and depressing compared to Tom Cruise, who was just really... Well, it was a depressing story. It was. Well, okay. How would you sum up the plot of this film? Like in a couple of sentences. This is not one of our alternative readings. No, no, no. This is just literally what is the plot of this film? Just literally what is the plot of this film? Okay, well, uh, it's, uh, an in- it's an interview... Um, between with a vampire, yes, with, with, with the vamp, with the vampire. This is feeling like a school report for a book you haven't read. <laughs> oh, you caught me off the off guard. Yes, yeah, so it's an interview where we find out how a vampire is created and all the advantages and disadvantages, and what all the advantages and disadvantages of being a vampire are. Okay. Eventually, it essentially does a, a, a SWOT analysis. <laughs> one would say. <laughs> yes. And you know where he tries to find love. In the form of a little girl, and doesn't doesn't quite work in a way. But also, like he doesn't want it to happen at the same time. He's very conflicted. Mm-hmm. 
I don't feel like that was ever presented as a potential romance. No, not necessarily. Well, I, I didn't say romance. I just said love. Oh, love. Okay, love like, in a daughter. Daughterly love. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she, she, she was a surrogate daughter to him. But there were times where I was wondering, like, what, what kind of love is it? Like, I was thinking, is this kind of turning mm. into a romance when she's, like, supposed to be in her 30s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was starting to get a little odd then. But I think they still presented it as not, kind of... Not at any point that I thought I felt it was creepy. Yeah. But... Well, in the book, because these these, this film is based on a series of books by the novelist Anne Rice. In the book, the character is six. Mm. Kirsten Dunst was 12, I think, when she played this role. Okay. You could not have had a six-year-old. Like, that would have been too creepy. Like, yeah, I think yeah. it would. Yeah, I mean, 12 is creepy enough, but like six. Mm. So. But I think she, she does very well, Kirsten Dunst. Incredibly well. Yeah, I think this is the first thing she ever did, or like one of the very first things she ever did. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, she's the thing it's I remember. It's weird, because for me, I, I'm i looking at Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise in this, and it just feels like a joke movie. Just yeah. like, ah, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do this. <laughs> like, is this doing anything for their either of their careers? It really? was a big hit at the time. Like. Yeah, but like, what have they done since that's anything like this? True, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm really surprised Tom Cruise did this, because he's like famously Hollywood's most famous closeted actor, maybe second after John Travolta, but mm. like... Mm. So the fact that he, play, he played such in such a homoerotic movie, but I guess this came out before all of that kind of stuff started coming out about him. So yeah, right. Can we talk about Tom Cruise then? Okay, yes. What was going on there? <laughs> <laughs> Why did he choose to do this film? I mean, he was great in it. Yeah. He was easily the best thing in this film. Hundred percent, hundred percent. But why? I don't know, but I'm really glad he did because he seemed like he was having so much fun. And this, this really again ties into my ongoing theory that Hollywood leading men who I don't like should play villains. Yes. Because it works. Yes. Especially Tom Cruise. Yeah. He he's so rarely played a villain and he was so good in this. Yeah. Because villains are more fun to play. Like yeah. heroes are boring and villain look at this film. Brad Pitt's the hero, I guess. If kind he's the hero, kind of. Mm. And Tom Cruise is the villain. And Tom Cruise is just having the time of his life. He is mm. he's strapping in those fangs. You know what these fangs are good for? <laughs> Chewing scenery. <laughs> That's one thing I, I did think of multiple times is um, how do they actually fit those fangs in his mouth? Because I don't know if you've ever noticed his teeth, but they're all very squint. Yeah. Not like they're all just off a little bit, but his entire jaw is just like at the wrong angle. One of his two front teeth is in the dead centre of his face. <laughs> I did not notice that. I, I, I noticed it once and now you just can't not notice it. Mm-hmm. In this film, obviously that's not the case because he's wearing fake teeth. Uh-huh. But they must have had to do something special for that. Oh, you mean actual Tom Cruise has, actual has, Tom has Cruise. a fang for his middle not, mouth? Not a fang, but like one of his middle two teeth, you know, the big teeth you got. Yeah. One of them is like dead centre in his face. I've never noticed that before. Well, you can't not notice it now. Okay. Well, I would say you've ruined Tom Cruise films more forever, but well. honest, that's, life has done that. But, <laughs> <laughs> the mummy did that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the teeth in this film, though, they really do. I love how cheesy they, they look like Halloween store. Like, yes, they do. It's just, <laughs> just like, ha. Would you say this is a comedy? Because I've tried to describe it to people and they've said that sounds like a comedy. And I'm just like, no, first way I'm telling it. But yeah, no, it's not. It's played quite... Like it's kind of played straight, except yeah, no, for Tom Cruise. There's no jokes in it. No, 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 not really. Tom Cruise is just extreme. Yeah. But there, there's no points which are trying to be funny. No, it's, I, I, guess, I guess it's kind of blackly comic in places. Mm. It's like a dark comedy mixed with a thriller. But yeah, it's not that funny. Well, it is funny, but it's... I think it's just comically acted. Yeah, I think everyone in this movie is, for the most part, really going for it in a way that is just inherently amusing. Mm. Like, they're just really... Ch- there's a lot of scenery changes. Like, for example... The scene when Brad Pitt is in France and he first meets the other vampires, mm-hmm. uh, the the vampires above the theatre, and he runs into oh, Antonio Banderas. He does run into Antonio. <laughs> he runs into Antonio Banderas, who is dressed as nineties Madonna. Oh just... god, he was, wasn't he? <laughs> I forgot that he was in the movie, yeah. um, and uh, oh, that was a nice surprise to see him there. But before him, he runs into Stephen Ray, 
who is the vampire who he meets in the underpass, who then just does like a whole full ballet dance in front oh, of yeah. him. Oh, just... What was that? <laughs> what was that? That was hilarious. That's what that was. Like. Where did that come from? That was when the movie went from like a little bit gay to like, <laughs> to, like a full on pantomime. That felt so out of place. It did, it did, but I loved it. I blocked it out from my memory, to be honest. <laughs> I feel like this film doesn't really have much of a plot, if you think about it. It's kind of just a, a series of events framed mm. by the interview mm. with him talking to Christian Slater. First of all, first of all what, is his, what is his plan, though? What is his endgame? Does, does he want to be in like a magazine? Why is he giving this interview? It's well, like, maybe Brad Pitt has just sort of got to the point where he just wants to talk about it, and you know, he doesn't have anybody else to talk to, so he just wants to talk to this guy, and it's like, yeah, sure, I'll do this interview, whatever. I wanted to know what the setup for the interview was. Like, how did you get in touch with this guy? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see that. So, I am the Living Dead. And <laughs> I'd like to talk about this. Yeah, sure. I appreciated how this film really zipped through the origin story. Mm-hmm. If this film was made today, it would be a, a trilogy, and the whole first <laughs> movie would be the first ten minutes of this movie. Oh, do you think? I think so. Yeah, because the, the first ten minutes of this movie, it's like I was. 24, my wife and child died, we don't see. Mm. I was a drunk, I was waiting to die. And then I imagine if it, would, if it would be made today, it wouldn't be three movies, but it'd be, it'd be more of like a Tarantino movie that's three and a half hours long. Possibly, yeah. And has several parts to it, and so there would be things like that. Yeah. But you know I mean, I like the fact that they just like, well, here, here's the setup. Mm-hmm. I met a vampire, the guy turned me, he turned me into a vampire, and then we vampires together. Mm-hmm. Great, now the film starts. Yeah. It didn't take, it didn't waste a lot of time on like backstory or exposition, which a lot of films today do. You, know, yeah. like you get to the hour point before anything actually happens. Yeah. Which I appreciated. Although it did leave some unanswered questions. Such as? Well, I've not read the books, so a lot of these may be answered in the books. But for example, why does he, Brad Pitt's character, Louis, have a soul or have regret anyway, but none of the other vampires seem to? Is there supposed to be something that makes him special, or is it just because he's a young vampire? It never—it's never really clear to me what. Because I guess that if there's a plot to this film, it is Brad Pitt's struggle against his identity as you know, a vampire, yeah, versus his lack of interest in taking human lives. Well, do you not think that Kirsten Dunst has a soul? No, she becomes a monster straight away. Oh yeah, she does. She's well evil. Oh, she's great. Yeah, she she is super super evil. You know, I'm, I'm glad you chose this film. I'm looking forward to watching it again sometime. Oh, good, good, good. I did really enjoy it. That was nice to hear. Yeah. <laughs> a little child she was, but also a fierce killer, now capable of the ruthless pursuit of blood with all a child's demanding. Let me kiss her better. describe as the you mentioned the advantages and disadvantages of being a vampire what would you say the key advantages of being a vampire were in this film uh you get to jump around really fast mm-hmm. well you can fly on strings on very obvious strings oh yeah only, but only oh. like once or twice in the movie yeah like, you'd think he'd use that more <laughs> whenever there's budget yeah when yeah <laughs> budget and a good open space yes they, they can kind of fly you can walk up walls yeah you can, you can do ballet dancing on the inside of bridges mm-hmm. uh you're immortal mm-hmm 
That's it. You have fabulous hair. Oh, that's where you were going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your hair will forever be the length it was. Not even that the hair is the way it was when you died. When Kirsten Dunst turns, mm. her hair actively like poofs into this like ringlessy kind of like. Yeah, that curve. was weird. So, because she was saying, "Oh, you made me a doll. Why did you make me a doll?" And, that's, mm. and she cuts her hair off, and that's that scene. So, did they choose that she was going to look like a doll, or I guess did Tom? Well, Tom Cruise did it. Did he choose that? Could he have chosen anything? I don't know, because how did... It almost felt like vampire blood was like 50% Pantene Pro-V or something. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's what the V stands for. Pantene Pro-Vampire. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. Um. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it if you've caught them and then it's like, oh, no, yeah, no, oh God, no. Because yeah. <laughs> when, when he finds her, she's this poor little orphan girl. On the verge of death. On the verge of death. And mm. then, yeah, as soon as literally she's lying on her deathbed and then she becomes a vampire. Mm. And there's a whole scene where her hair literally just like poofs up and becomes this giant ringletty kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's how it stays for the rest of the film then. And then, as you say, there's that bit where she like gives herself a haircut and then mm-hmm. just immediately comes back, which yeah. is hilarious. Yeah. I mean, I obviously, yeah, the hair in this film was a big plus for me. Yes. Mm-hmm. So much, so many How books. much of a percentage of the reason you chose this film <laughs> was wigs? Yeah. I would a solid seventy to seventy-five. <laughs> Great. Yeah, because I felt like Brad Pitt's just felt like it got bigger and bigger and bigger as the film went on. It did, and Tom Cruise hid a lot of him. Yeah, Tom Cruise liked his like ponytail. His was he liked his ponytail, but he also had a lot sort of coming down at the front. He was hiding his face a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. Because there was so much makeup, you could barely tell it was him. I really wanted to see him turn Christian Slater into a vampire at the end, just to see what would yeah, he do with that hairline. Yeah, like, there's, yeah. There's nothing there. Like, what's yeah. he gonna have? Like. <laughs> Well, I was also looking forward to seeing because I really enjoyed Brad Pitt sort of the, as the modern '90s vampire mm-hmm. um, at the start, <laughs> oh, and yeah. then and then going back to the what the 1800s or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was looking forward to seeing Tom Cruise as a as a modern '90s vampire. You, yeah, he's, I can't because because he wasn't like when when he appears in the final scene, he's not '90s style. He's still like 1800s. Yeah, it feels like he's been sat in that in that little ruined church wherever it's supposed to be in that graveyard for mm. literally 200 years yeah which must be super super boring yeah <laughs> how long was he on the verge of death and how many times in this film were we supposed to assume that he was dead quite a lot of it yeah like when he definitely wasn't <laughs> yeah well first he get yeah so Kirsten Dunst slits his throat and then they mm-hmm. throw him in the lake mm-hmm. and there's some hilarious prosthetic work on his face as he's like mm-hmm. sinking beneath the mud yeah and then when he gets burnt to a crisp and then doesn't appear for the next like half hour mm. and then obviously just at the end he cocks back up mm. but uh, yeah yeah, I did feel like when he was left the movie, the movie took a bit of a dip. Yeah, it did. Because he's the most fun part. Yeah. Although yeah, I do remember I... Kirsten Dunn's death scene really freaking me out as a child when I first saw this film. Yeah, it was... It was intense. Yes, it was. It wasn't, it wasn't very nice. Mm. Did you enjoy the Superman cameo? What? The Superman cameo? No. Literal... Su- did you actually fall asleep towards the end? Wait, what happened? He's talking... Oh, yes. Yeah, he's talking about how he, like, he finally can see the sunrise again because he watches films mm-hmm. and then they show clips of films and it goes yeah, to yeah, yeah. And I was like, even though it's like a split second I was like how is he going to like this like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry I thought you meant like Henry Cavill turns up or something he would have been what five when this came out I don't know <laughs> true yeah. Yeah. cool anything else okay so I do have one bit of really good trivia about this film which I love okay so this film was when this film was released in the early 90s it was in the process of when they were making it early on in production there were some concerns that the film might actually be too gay, like too homoerotic to mm-hmm. be commercially viable in the right. 90s. You know, it, was okay. a, it was a different time. You know, So they decided in order to tone down the 
kind of homosexual undertones that they will, would have the character of Louis, the Brad Pitt character, mm. played by a woman. Mm-hmm. And that was the original plan. So it would be, be a woman and Tom Cruise's character, basically, okay. instead. Uh, and so do you know who that woman was who was initially lined up to play that role before Brad Pitt came on? Instead of Brad Pitt? Yes. Mm, is she, does she look like Brad Pitt? No. Does she act like Brad Pitt? Hmm. No, I thought, no, I don't think so. Is she a similar age to Brad Pitt? No. Is she older? Yes. Is she Maggie Smith? No. <laughs> no, but wow. <laughs> that is a movie I would watch. I'm nearly, this is also a movie I would watch, but that is a movie. Okay, who is it then? It was Cher. Oh, man. Oh, she would have been great, actually. She would have been great. But I love the idea that this is the one time in history, surely, in which Cher would have been added to a project to make it less gay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, eventually they decided to keep it as it was and go and grab it, which is great. So, yeah. But no, so on the whole, you enjoyed this one? I did, yeah. Good. Would, would you prefer it if it was Cher? I'd prefer anything if it was Cher. You prefer, Any, there's no film that could not be improved You'd prefer Cher as a vampire over Brad Pitt as a vampire? Oh, yeah. Okay. I would I would have Cher in Schindler's List. I would have Cher in, you know, Forrest Gump. I would have Cher in The Green Mile. I would have Cher in any movie. Who would you play in Forrest Gump? Forrest Gump. Wow. In the lead. Yeah, Cher should play the lead in all movies. Wow. Yeah. Um, Batman? Yeah, 100%. Well, that was the other thing. When Christopher Nolan's Batman, the one with Anne Hathaway came out, yeah. the, I don't even remember, but the initial casting rumours before the plot details came out mm. was that Catwoman was going, the plot of Catwoman was that she was going to be a woman who was addicted to plastic surgery, who mm-hmm. looked like a cat, mm. and so they were going to cast Cher. Okay. But with a younger one, also Anne Hathaway. Oh, I would have liked that so much more. <laughs> I would, an, an aged, like, in her 60s, Cher, you know, Ten years ago, Cher playing Catwoman, playing Catwoman in a Christopher been, Nolan in a Christopher Nolan would have been off the chain. I would have loved that. <laughs> I'm sensing you might disagree. <laughs> no, I don't disagree. I'm just imagining what that film would have been like. Yeah, that would have been something else. Mm. Okay, should we get to it? Yeah, let's get to it. Okay, so, so our first little point um, is our alternative readings. Yes, this is a new section we're doing where we're going to do some alternative readings of the original film. Yeah, and listeners, we'd love your help if you can think of any for our mm-hmm. future movies. So, Harry, what is your alternative reading of Interview with the Vampire? So, the way that I sort of interpreted this film mm-hmm. um, in a well, slightly different way. In a world where slavery is acceptable, two gay men fight f- to keep their forcefully adopted child. Okay, two things. Yes. First of all, I did not realise we had to do voice work for this. Well, there we go. <laughs> Second of all, we've had the same thing. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> <So> at last, <laughs> after 30 episodes, we've had the oh, same Oh, I'm so idea. glad I went first. <laughs> <laughs> so mine was slightly reworded but the same thing so my alternative reading of this movie would be Interview with the, Vam- Interview with the Vampire <clears throat> no voices or... Interview with the Vampire a two hour advert for why gay vampires should not be allowed to adopt <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> uh, yeah. yeah well that was very similar yeah, yeah pretty much glad yeah. well it, it kind of wrote itself yeah, mm. but. okay so do you want to go first this week yes certainly so again I hope we've not done the same but no, well, uh, let, we shall see yeah maybe we haven't I don't know Initially, I thought we were because I was gonna, I was just gonna do a plain sequel, mm-hmm. just being like, okay, so Tom Cruise, Christian Slater, they're doing the same sort of thing, but Christian Slater is the sort of new vampire on the block, and he's learning all the mm-hmm. things. I thought, no, that'd be way too similar to the original film. Okay, and so then I was, it was sort of developed from there. Okay, and I thought, how can I make this a little bit more crazy? Okay, I've got this. I've got this. So we pick up in 2017. Okay. So it's about, what, 20 years later or something? Yeah, this film came out in 1994, so like 23 years later. Sure. So obviously by this point, Malloy, that's Christian Slater. 
Okay. Um, he's a full vampire uh, by now, so there's no more sort of growing pains or anything. And he's essentially turned completely evil, just like uh, Tom Cruise's character, Lestat. Okay. So are these are, is it the same cast? Yeah. Okay, cool. That's fair. None of them look that much older. So. Yeah. Of course I'm keeping Tom Cruise. Of course. Oh, yeah. Indispensable. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, none of them look much older. And also there's a lot of makeup in this that mm. you can get away with it anyway. Yeah. By the way, does Tom Cruise age? I did find when we watched The Mummy that he did he did look the same as he always has, but you could tell in certain scenes that he was mm. like clearly in his 50s. Okay. He looked a bit rickety. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so the opening scene is them in a nightclub in London. Okay. And they're trying to take some girls home. Okay. Oh, girls. It's yeah. a change. Okay. Well, they, they were they were kind of bisexual in the film. Well, I guess, yeah, I guess they did seduce a lot of women, to be fair. Carry on. Yeah. You were talking about the woman they ripped the nipple off? True, 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 yeah. Okay, well, yeah, I guess if you get girls to kill rather than have sex with, yeah, fine. Mm. In this particular scenario, it's girls. Okay. And there are a, it's, it's a fancy dress party in some nightclub in town, so the fact that these two are both still dressed, one of them from the 1800s and one of them from the 90s, but both as vampires. Okay. The fact that they're both dressed like that, it just goes unnoticed. Yeah, they're just hipsters, I guess. Yeah, but, you know, they look like vampires. Okay. And they eventually find a large group of women who are in a Hindu. Okay. So they're all getting a bit crazy, a bit rowdy. and. Now, you've just been on a stag do. Are we just going to recite your personal diary? No, again? I'm not going to do that again. Okay, good. good. This episode. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they meet up with a, with a Hindu, and well, one thing leads to another, and they get invited back to the hotel, okay. which is the Ritz. Okay, that's a very posh Hindu. Very posh Hindu, indeed. Especially for a fancy dress Hindu. Probably more of a, you know, premium travelling kind of a affair, but okay. Maybe. Well, we could change that if you want. Okay. It's up in one of their rooms. Mallow and Lestat are with uh, two women each. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's all going pretty well. So everybody's happy. At this at this point, there's nothing to say that anything's going to go wrong. Apart from all these women are going to end up dead. Well, yes, but they're, but they're currently all expecting to turn into an orgy. And, okay. You know, of course, it starts out like that, but ends in bloody murder with, yeah, blood everywhere and ripped necks. And Mallow and Lestat just falling back on a bed and just being completely exhausted and full blood all around them. Can I just stop you right there? And they fall asleep. Can I stop right there? It's Malloy. You keep saying Malloy. It's Malloy. Well, I'm sorry. (laughs) I couldn't listen to that for a whole story. Did did anybody ever say it in the film? No, but it's it's M-O-L-L-O-Y. It's Malloy. Malloy. Malloy, yeah. Malloy, sure. Um, (laughs) Sorry, continue. (laughs) (laughs) So the next morning... Okay. They wake up and there is a lot of blood everywhere, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wake up spooning. Oh, Malloy and Lestat. Yes. Okay, cool. L- Lestat is the big spoon. Okay. You right with that? Uh, I would have assumed they were out. Okay, fine. Why? I don't know. Actually, no, no, actually, he was quite a dom top in the film. He was. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Continue. continue. <laughs> so they wake up and they actually leave straight away and go back to Lestat's London apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, they take the tube, so just imagine... Two people dressed as vampires on a on a Sunday morning or something with blood all down them. Wait, wait, wait. How are they going outside? Oh, <laughs> um, umbrellas. Umbrellas. Umbrellas, okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> I thought about this. I thought about Early hours of the morning. Okay, before the sunrise and they get onto the tube. It's winter. Fine, okay, fine, fine, fine. Some excuse. Okay. And so, back at the hotel, the Ritz, um, the housekeeper discovers the murder scene and screams. Of course. Um, haven't cast anybody in this. It's tiny, tiny part. Tiny parts are the best to cast. Who, who would you cast as a screaming housekeeper? As a screaming housekeeper, I would cast... That is the, the, the name of the character. Screaming housekeeper? Yes. Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. He'd still win an Oscar. He's, he's retired from acting, but uh, well, yeah, this sure. Could, this, I think if this anything's going to attempt him out, yeah, this would be it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. A lifetime, Daniel. 
yeah, so she screams and people come running. and yeah. Uh, sometime later, we see the police are there setting up a crime scene. And who turns up? Russell Crowe as Dr. Jekyll. Oh, you're bringing it into the dark universe. There okay. we go. So this is the dark universe that they're trying to set up with the, that terrible recent Mummy movie in which Russell Crowe, if you haven't seen it, really chews some scenery as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So yes. Best character in that film. Oh, 100%. Yeah. There's not yeah. much competition, but yeah. No. So he has a look around um, and talks to some of the people there. There was uh, talks to the housekeeper and asks, her, "Well, did he did he see anything?" And, and you know, well, earlier today I saw two people dressed as vampires that were leaving. And uh, Mr. Jekyll looks directly at the camera <laughs> and says, "They weren't dressed as vampires." He, leave, he leaves the crime scene while muttering to himself, "I need an, I need I need another immortal for this." So then we cut. You, I'm, I'm sorry, and I stop you again. Um, I don't feel like you're really committing to your Russell Crowe voice, and I would like you to try, please. What accent was he doing at this point when he was Mr. Jekyll? He was doing a very British, like a very, like... Very British, but he hadn't gone Cockney yet, had he? No, no, it wasn't Cockney. It was more like how Americans think British people sound. I can't do a fake British accent. Of course you can. (sighs) Try, come on. Um, you need to, or just do any Russell Crowe impression. Um, oh God. How can can I do a British accent when I'm British? Easily, just do a different british accent from yours they weren't dressed as, no no <laughs> no you, no I, I can't do it i can't do it Disappointing. Uh, maybe, maybe i'll try some other accents but trying to do a similar british accent just try and do any russell crowe impersonation he's very he's very impersonable is he no i think so how is he impersonable he's, he's, he's quite specific in the way he normally acts like you do it then they I am De- I am Decimus Meridius. I am Maximus De- Meridius. That's quoting. That's not impersonating. I'm trying. To, I'm trying to find the voice. Say they weren't dressed as vampires. Okay. Actually, I need to listen to his British accent first. Okay. I'll find, I'll find the voice. Welcome to Prediction, Mr. Morton. See, he's not really even trying for an accent, is he? I think I did pretty well already. Forgive the state of, yeah. I don't know. Just do your best. They weren't dressed as vampires, okay. said Mr. Jekyll. Welcome to Prodigium, Mr. Morton. From the latter, Monstrum Bell Prodigium. A warning of monsters. Forgive the state of things, we had very little time to prepare for our guest, and only the information Jennifer provided to go on. In truth, she works for us. It's not an exact science, this business. And the business being evil, Mr. Morton. So he leaves the crime scene, mutters to himself, I need another immortal for this. So yeah, I'm kind of going over dramatic at this point. Yeah. Is that okay? Well, yeah, good, yeah, good, yeah, exactly. Ham right. it up, ham it up. Great, okay. So we then cut to, cut to somewhere in the Middle East, or Egypt, or wherever it was that the mummy finished. Okay. Um, and we have Tom Cruise playing Nick Morton. Okay. his character from the mummy and also they get jack johnson back um as chris his sidekick from the mummy so tom cruise is playing a dual role now yeah okay interesting i thought it'd be good fun yeah yeah because yeah. this is easily tom cruise's funnest film yes, and uh, i want 100%. to i want to kind of double it if mm. i can <laughs> his best and his worst film just combined yeah <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, is the mummy his worst film that's yeah, not that's a that's an conversation from another time we need to watch a lot more tom cruise films to make that call yeah, yeah. or not and so Nick and Chris, uh, that's who they're called, if you didn't remember, they're just doing archaeology stuff in some kind of a war zone. 
Oh, so this is pre the mummy because Nick is not a ghost yet. Kind of post the mummy. Well, no, the mummy finishes with uh, by Nick. Do you mean Chris? Chris. Jake and Jack Johnson's character from the New- guy from New Girl. Yeah. Oh, did no, he come back to life? Yes, he did. In the last scene, he was like completely back to life. Oh, I so zoned out by that yeah. point. Like. Confusing thing is, in New Girl, his name is Nick. Yeah. And then in Mummy, Tom Cruise's name is Nick. Oh. So I just, yeah. Okay. Just try and get it right. I'm, 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 I'm confused. You're making it worse, but okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, doing archaeology in what is essentially a war zone. And as predicted, things go south and they get attacked by a local army and they get captured as well. They get taken somewhere to be executed, and so they're strung up and blindfolded, and there's a firing squad aimed at them, and they're bickering uh, back and forth about whose fault it was that they got caught, and, oh, this always happens. <laughs> the order is given to fire, and it happens, and they both get shot, and they both die. Oh, okay. Which is not great. <laughs> <laughs> Understatement. Yeah, in case... In case so Nick's already died... No, sorry, Chris has already died once already, though. Yeah. So he must be like, oh, not again. Pretty much. Okay. And, yeah, as soon as they are untied for the bodies to be disposed of, Nick, Tom Cruise's character... Opens his eyes, revealing two irises in each eye. Oh, of course, because he was the mummy at the end. Mm. Okay. The person carrying him um, is a bit shocked and sort of drops him there. Nick stands up, raises his arms, and as he does so, tons of sand raises from the ground from the ground and just buries the entire shooting squad. Okay. Why didn't they do that before they got shot? Uh, for dramatic effect for us. Okay. Mm, fine. Yeah, just to show, yeah, to showcase his powers. Fair enough. Okay. So then everybody else who, who was around, who's not part of the firing squad, they look at him and he just sort of raises one arm towards them, just sort of threateningly, and everybody runs away. Mm-hmm. Um, he then drags one person out from under the, the pile of sand, who mm-hmm. is still barely alive, but is still alive, and he kisses him, sucking all the life out of his body. Okay. And he goes, goes over to Chris and then starts kissing him and puts all the life in his body, and so Chris comes back to life. I thought Chris... Oh, so it was Nick who raised his arms and buried all the sand. Nick actually... Chris Nick, actually Nick was is there. Tom Cruise's character who did that, yes. Okay. Okay, I'm trying to keep this straight. Okay, so Tom Cruise did all the magic, new girl guy died, and then Tom Cruise kissed him back to life. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm on board. Yeah. Normally I would use just the actors' names, but Tom Cruise is playing two parts in this. So true, true, true. Okay, I have yeah. made this confusing. You've made a tangled web, yeah. <laughs> so Chris wakes up coughing and says, Did you kiss me again? <laughs> Nick, I told you I'm not okay with that. <laughs> Well, I need to get inside you somehow. I have limited options. Okay, kissing will do. <laughs> but can you just save me before I die next time? I'll try. Says Nick, more winking. <laughs> to the camera. <laughs> <laughs> so they go back to their... Uh, well, there's an American army base nearby, and so they go back there. I'm waiting for them is Dr. Jekyll. Mm-hmm. I need your help, Nick. What is it? No, I need to draw it I need your help, Nick. What is it this time? Well, there have been a spree of murders across London, which all have one thing in common. Witnesses all saw two people dressed as vampires leaving the scene. He does quotes with his hands when he's saying vampires. Okay. So you want me to go and kill the vampires? Yeah, I'm not Buffy, you know. (laughs) No, I don't want you to kill them. I want you to bring them in. Sure, what's in it for me? A favour. Deal. Okay, I feel like you found your Tom, your Russell Crowe voice a bit there. I'm liking it. I've just gone a little bit deeper and yeah, more dramatic. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's all I've done. Mm-hmm. That's all it takes. Yeah. So Nick and Dr. Drackle fly back to London, leaving Chris behind. Because okay. he is just useless. Yeah. And Nick starts to track the vampires. So he goes to every crime scene as fast as possible, as, in, like, as soon as they happen, just to try and see if he can catch any vampire, any people dressed as vampires in the vicinity. Is this still in London? In London, yeah. Spree through London. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 
but he, he never can because that's not really the most efficient way to do it. So he gives up on that and comes up with a different idea. He's going to get caught himself. Uh-huh. So he needs to become bait, right? essentially. So he starts looking at the type of people that, that have become these victims, that have, all, that have all died. And they've all got a couple of things in common. So they're all slightly overweight people. Okay. And they were all murdered when they were all uh, like on a night out with a group of friends. Okay. So they've all been a little bit drunk and... And they're all usually on like a stag do or a hen do. It's just a safe bet that people are just trying to trying to have sex or something. And so it's easy to get people back. Okay. So we then get a montage of a few months, essentially of Tom Cruise eating and drinking <laughs> a shit ton, becoming an alcoholic, becoming substantially overweight, um, and also finding his way onto a stag do by making friends with the cast of The Only Way is Essex. Okay. <laughs> Because I imagine they have a lot of sort of nights out. And yeah, I think that's, that. that's the premise of the whole show. Yeah. Really, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I imagine Tom Cruise, but very overweight. Okay. Yeah, I can picture it. Great. Uh, maybe he's grown his hair long as well to just make himself look a bit shaggy. So I imagine him from uh, Mission Impossible 2, that kind of hair. Mm-hmm. You know, where it's sort of a little bit shoulder length, but yeah. not good. No, okay. Yeah, so eventually they've uh, they've got a night, night out planned uh, in London, which, so uh, Nick goes along and while being still still being part of this group nick is chatting up everybody he can find who's dressed as a vampire they've intentionally gone to a place where everybody dresses up thinking this is a place where they're likely going to turn up so they're in blackpool essentially blackpool in london yes yeah. oh, oh they're still in london okay, fine. yeah and so he's trying to find people who are dressed as vampires well there aren't very many because vampires aren't that popular anymore given those twilight films true so he can only actually see that there's two in the entire room so he goes up to one of them we all see that it's christian slater Okay. So it's... What's his name? Malloy. Malloy. Not Malloy. Yeah, so he's flirting with him, and Malloy says, well, yeah, you're not really my type, but I'll tell you what, my, my friend Lestat, like, he's really into your, your type. Big old chubby chaser. <laughs> <laughs> and so he takes fat Tom Cruise to go over and see long-haired Tom Cruise. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and they meet, and obviously they hit off really quickly. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine Tom Cruise flirting with himself? Oh, yeah. Russian Tom Cruise in two ridiculous costumes, flirting with himself. Mm-hmm. I can say it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to you photoshopping it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't take long before Lestat has invited Nick to come back to his hotel room. Okay. So Nick obviously abandons the Tawi lock, because dead end there, mm-hmm. uh, and takes Lestat back to his hotel room, where Lestat starts making a move on Nick, and they're all getting very flirty, and you know one thing leads to another, and all well, Lestat's at uh, Nick's neck. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as as soon as Nick starts feeling teeth, he jumps back, saying, "It's you, isn't it? The vampire has been making those killings recently." <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and you're next. Okay, you've you've nailed vampire song cruise. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> you clearly don't know what I am. You can't take me. I'm eight hundred years old. I'm pretty experienced. So Nick launches himself at Lestat and starts a fight, which initially starts as sort of a fist fight, but rolling around on the floor. Maybe he's got mummy strength. I don't know. Okay. I don't know if there was any kind of super strength in that or anything. And the fight very quickly turns a little bit supernatural mm-hmm. with Lestat just essentially dodging uh, dodging Nick very quickly because vampires can move quick, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it starts like that. And eventually Lestat throws himself at Nick, which uh, leads to them both falling out of the window. Okay. Um, and they fall down and land on a moving car. Mm-hmm. 
classic action movie moment. Classic action, classic Tom Cruise action movie. True, yeah. Bear in mind, Tom Cruise is probably doing all these stunts uh-huh. somehow, mm-hmm. twice. Yes, once in a fat suit. Yeah. Once in a fat suit, once in a wig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, there's a bit of a car, not really a car chase, but a but a fight scene on a car just going through London. A few landmarks in there, maybe. Yeah. So they get thrown off the car uh, right near London Eye, mm-hmm. and they're about twenty meters apart. And Nick raises his arms with London Eye in the background, mm-hmm. and all the glass in London Eye breaks Ooh. and turns into sand. Okay. Um, which he then fires straight towards Lestat, trying to pin him down, but Lestat's too strong mm-hmm. and gets up. And Lestat sees that, like, obviously he's not going to be able to turn this guy into a vampire. He just needs to get away, so he just legs it. Mm-hmm. I assume vampires can run pretty quickly. They can move quickly, so sure, why yeah, not? Yeah, they seem it seemed like they could. Yeah, they had a lot of super speed. That was kind of one of their abilities. <laughs> So Nick, still with his arms out to the sides, actually rises up. He's now flying, essentially. Okay. And every window in London breaks. Oh, gosh. That's a lot of windows. There's a lot of windows, yeah. That's a lot of sand. It's essentially an entire sand dune, which is following the stat through London, trying to pin him down. Oh, so the glass becomes sand? Yes. Okay, right, yeah. Glass is made out of sand. Yeah, I know. Right? I know. Yeah. And that manages to pin him down. Okay. Nick uses this to take Lestat back to Dr. Jackal's office, wherever that is, his okay. lab or whatever. I feel like it's probably in London. So. Yeah. Mm. I'm pretty sure it was. The whole part of the film is in London. Yes. Yeah. Where there is a cell ready for him which can hold somebody like Lestat. Okay. And yeah, so then back at the office, Nick says, so, oh, uh, what are you going to do with him? I'm building a team. One day, there will be a threat which is bigger than all of us. Something that will bring us all together as a team. It's a dark universe we live in. <laughs> he says, well, looking at the camera. And that's the end of the movie. Oh, okay. So it's it's the it's the next edition of the Dark Universe movies that start yes. them. Okay. Still leaving it open for that universe they're trying to get together. Yeah. No, that's definitely a better plot than the actual film, The Mummy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so this was called The Vampire. The Vampire. Okay, cool. Oh, I like that a lot. It had it all. It had, it had wigs. It had homoeroticism. It had multiple Tom Cruise. It had voices. It had voices. It had dramatic weight gain. Yeah. yeah. I like it all. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Good. Glad you enjoyed it. Yep. Okay. So, uh, my turn then. So, my movie is called... I've been looking forward to this. Yeah. Okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Don't disappoint me. No. Well, I'll do my best. So, mine is called Inter- Interview with the Vampire 2. Fangs for the royalties. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't resist that pun. So. So, it, well, as, as with yours, is a direct sequel to the original mm-hmm. film. So, we catch up with Louis, the Brad Pitt character. Uh, not played by Brad Pitt, though. Oh. Yeah, I've recast. He's going to be played by someone a bit younger, because we were filming this in 2017, obviously. So, someone who's, like, in their 20s in okay. 2017. So, I was thinking maybe, like, Ezra Miller or something. Oh, okay. Or someone who can brood. Well, what's Ezra Miller done? That, has he done any brooding things? I've only seen him in that Harry Potter film. Uh, Fantastic Beasts. Fantastic Beasts. He, he's pretty broody in that. He's what? in... Um, we need to talk about Kevin, in which he broods a lot. I've not seen it. Yeah, I just want to sort of be like okay. miserable for two hours because he's a very brooding, emo kind of character. Okay, yeah. A lot of this sequel is based around my kind of feelings that Brad Pitt's character in this film is kind of just a very brooding, takes himself very seriously kind of. Yeah. Bit is of a buzzkill. Is he wearing a wig? Of course, yeah. He, he's great. got the wig. He's dressed much like Brad Pitt is dressed, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's just Ezra Miller. Yeah. For reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, having failed to kind of make Christian Slater's character Malloy, the journalist, understand. Do you mean Malloy? No, Malloy. <laughs> Having failed to make him understand his plight and his terrible tragic story, mm. he decides the only solution is to write, write his story himself. Right. Okay. So he starts going to a night class in creative writing. Mm-hmm. Has to be a night class for obvious reasons. 
uh, and he's going to that class and I think there'll be a, a fun little montage if you know a vampire at night you know, crazy writing class I think that's kind of funny yeah. uh, and while he's there he befriends a young working mother called Anne it's difficult not to make vampires funny isn't it I know yeah but, yeah. most vampire films take themselves super seriously but mm. I do think vampires are inherently pretty funny yeah, yeah so well, yeah there needs to be more, more vampire comedies I think yes Anyway, so he befriends this woman, Anne, who's also the creative writing class. Uh, Anne, as it turns out, isn't a very good writer. Mm. But she is a good listener. And so she encourages him to finish his story, mm-hmm. which he does. So by the end of this creative writing night class, he has written a whole book based on his experiences, his tragic story as a vampire, which we saw in the original yeah. film, of course. Uh, so Anne says, you know, this is really good stuff. You should send this to publishers. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, yeah, cool. So he does. He sends his manuscript off to multiple publishers and he gets positive responses and in fact mm-hmm. the head of a very popular publishing house mm-hmm. invites him to go for a meeting the only problem is the meeting is during the day mm. so he can't go so he's a bit stuck not only can he not go to this meeting during the day he also he doesn't have a bank account or anything that you know he's a vampire yeah, yeah. he doesn't have any of the trappings that someone would need to sign a book contract and promote a book etc yes so he talks to Anne. he asks if she will go on his behalf and propose as the writer of this book mm. And because, you know, she can have all the royalties, he doesn't care, all he wants is to get a story out to the world. Mm-hmm. So Anne becomes basically his ghostwriter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she does. She goes and Interview the Vampire, as it is called, mm-hmm. is published, becomes a best-selling novel, and is also optioned for a movie. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. See where we're going here? Yeah. So once again, Louis works with Anne to turn their best-selling novel into like a into a script for this movie that's going to get made, mm-hmm. uh, which, as it turns out, will star Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt in the lead roles. Right. Okay. Yeah. So. So. So wait. Is this a sequel or? I'm. I'm getting. Uh, no. No. I'll. I'll ask at the end. I'll ask yeah. At the yeah. End. Okay. So maybe it's like sort of a sequel in terms of chronology, but it's also kind it, of a prequel and a midquel. It's all of all of the above. Like, yeah. It feels like it's a loop. It is kind of yeah. Well, okay. let's see where it goes. Yes, I will. Okay. So, the movie's shot. It's released, and Louis goes to a private. That was quick. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's. <laughs> right. It's like game. It's like Game of Thrones season seven speed. Everything's happening very very quickly. Um, <laughs> Sure. Yeah, people are just crossing continents in yeah. minutes. So, yeah, so the movie's shot, it's released, and Louis attends a midnight pri- a private midnight, midnight screening. Mm-hmm. He, you know, in the film, he likes going to like, late-night film showings. Mm-hmm. Where else is he going to go? So he goes and he watches the film, and he, he's very satisfied. He's like, this tells my story. Yeah. This gets me. This film reflects who I am. So the next day, the reviews of the film come in. He picks up the papers, and the headlines scream, Gay Vampire Movie Becomes Hollywood Sensation. What? <laughs> and then it's like ho- more headlines, like homoerotic vampire takes a bite out of the box office. <laughs> so he, he, he immediately... did you write these headlines? Yes. Oh, good. So then I nice. Yeah, I am a writer. My job. And so he flies straight to Anne, and he's like, "Why is everyone saying this story's gay?" And Anne replies, oh, you know, "I kind of assumed it was." <laughs> and he's like, "And he just because the the idea is that he takes himself so seriously, he hasn't remotely picked up on how kind of homoerotic his story is at all, mm-hmm. and so he's horrified by all this. He's like, oh man, I got it wrong again. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, first time he tells Christian Slater, and Christian Slater just thinks it's really glamorous, and now he tells it again, and now it's with this whole gay thing. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, nobody understands me. <laughs> so that's my Brad Pitt in this movie impression. Ezra Miller. Yeah, Ezra Miller as Brad Pitt. Yes. Yeah. So he just wants to be taken seriously, but it's just not happening. So he's really bummed, and he drifts. He kind of drifts away from Anne, and goes back into seclusion for a few decades, just mm-hmm. wanders the world. But he's still really bugged by this kind of unfulfilled desire to kind of properly tell his story. Mm-hmm. So we cut to the early 2000s, and his travels have taken him to Utah, the American mm-hmm. state, uh, where once he ends up befriending another young working mother who's named Stephanie, 
okay. uh, who he meets at a late night cinema screening of the movie Underworld, which he naturally despises. <laughs> yeah, of course. Anyway, one thing leads to another, and him and Stephanie end up kind of dating. Okay. Okay, yeah. And Stephanie's very attracted to him, and he obviously tells her at some point that, you know, he's a vampire, he's a living dead, etc. Mm-hmm. And she is very attracted to that lifestyle, and she begs him to make her a vampire too. Mm. But he consistently refuses, because, you know, he, he sees it as a curse, she doesn't realise it's a bad thing, etc. However, this woman, she's also a wannabe writer. Mm-hmm. And so once she's come to terms with the fact that he's never going to turn into a vampire, she says, well, can I... Write a story based on our relationship, please. And he's like, okay, fine. But absolutely no gay stuff. <laughs> I'm not gay. I'm just a very tortured vampire. Okay. <laughs> so the woman agrees and she writes a 100% homosexuality free vampire story about a mortal woman who falls in love with a vampire. Uh-huh. And so this story comes out and it's an even bigger sensation than his original story. Mm. It sells millions. Obviously, it's called Twilight. <laughs> Stephanie oh Meyer, I didn't see. get it once again you didn't connect oh. <laughs> so it becomes so once again this series of books come out and then once again they are immediately very quickly optioned into a series of movies yes so again the first movie gets filmed very quickly mm. overnight maybe mm-hmm. and once again he goes to his midnight premiere and he watches the first Twilight movie mm-hmm. and once again he's very satisfied oh. he watches it he's like wait one, once again he's very satisfied well, he, he liked the interview with the vampire movie until someone told him it was gay oh right, right yeah, again, yeah yeah carry yeah. on so he watches this, this first Twilight film and he's like finally a movie that treats my plight with the dignity that it deserves and then so the next day the reviews come in <laughs> and they're like worst movie of the summer you know boring pretentious twaddle mm. and once again he's devastated he's like oh, man nobody's taking me seriously <laughs> and he's very very unhappy mm-hmm uh, but despite the terrible reviews, Twilight does come on, go on to become a huge, huge, you know, box office sensation, mm. much far eclipsing Into the Vampire. Mm-hmm. It's a cultural phenomenon. Pun uh, intended. Yeah, sure. What? 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 <laughs> eclipse. Eclipse. Oh, eclipse. No, that wasn't. But yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> I like how you just sort of took that. Like, yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, I just, I was. T- that's my <laughs> my immediate um, impulse is to take credit for something and then ask what it was. <laughs> <laughs> So it spawns this whole franchise of terrible movies. And mm. just as he kind of com- is coming to terms with uh, this new chapter in his life where he's written all these books that become films that, he, that aren't well respected but are very popular, mm-hmm. uh, he gets a call from Stephanie, who he's not heard from in a while, and she says, listen, I need to tell you, somebody has taken our, the stories we've written and turned them into a series of erotic novels. And they're terrible, but they're even more popular than our series. And now they're going to make a movie out of that as well. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, dear God, will the humiliation never end? How could we put a stop to this? And she's like, I'm afraid we can't because the person, the writer has changed it just enough that we don't have any legal recourse anymore. <laughs> so there's nothing we can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so who's written these novels? Who's, who's written these erotic novels based on our story? Mm-hmm. And she says, well, it's a young working mother with no previous writing experience. Mm-hmm. So, hmm, this sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. So uh, he flies out to England where the mysterious writer lives. And obviously it's E.L. James of the Fifty Shades of Grey series. Didn't know who she, who she was called, but uh, yeah. yeah. But you picked up it was Fifty Shades. I did, yes. Okay, that, one, that one I got. Good, good. Because you know they're based on Twilight fan fiction. I'm well aware. Okay, good. Well, you never, I can never tell with you. They're not based on fan fiction. They are fan They fiction. are fan fiction. Initially. Yeah. Exactly. So that's the idea here. So he, he stalks E.L. James for a while and he discovers that every night a mysterious cloaked figure visits her in, in her writing study. Mm-hmm. So he watches for a while and waits for the figure to leave and then he confronts the figure one night, pulls back the cloak and it is, of course... Lester. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> who's playing him? Who would play? Who's who's a young Tom Cruise? Oh, there is no young Tom. Tom Cruise is a young Tom Cruise. Yeah, exactly. So maybe yeah. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. That's Tom Cruise. <laughs> and that's kind of it. 
kind of credits roll. All right. Yeah, I know it's a bit abrupt, but it's like a big reveal. Like, so I guess the idea is that Lestat finally wrote a fun, a fun version of their story. Because mm-hmm. the Fragic Grey films are silly, but at least they're fun. You know, like at least they're a bit kinky and silly. Yeah, but how is it their story? Well, I know it's it's so far removed from this. I, I think the idea is that Brad Pitt's character has written like really depressing and miserable and mm-hmm. pretentious versions of the film, and Lestat has been watching from his seclusion mm-hmm. wherever, and he's like. Oh, this is this is so boring. Let's write a fun version, and he does. So he takes the he steals the story, mm-hmm. turns into another story, and it becomes Fifty Shades of Grey, and oh. he becomes a super sensation. Uh, yes, yeah, so I just thought that nicest thing that anybody said about Fifty Shades of Grey. Yes, <laughs> but it's fun. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I just thought yeah, I just thought that Tom Cruise's character would be the one to write a better version of that story. Yeah, because I kind of watching the original film, I wanted to see Tom Cruise telling a story rather than Brad Pitt. I thought that he'd tell it in much with more flair. Mm-hmm. Like Brad Pitt spends the whole movie kind of just brooding. Yeah. Brad Pitt's version story is probably just lots of fun. So lots of just killing and sex. And, oh, yeah. That was a good yeah. reveal at the end then. Yeah. So I know, yeah, it was a little bit, not one of my most uh, in-depth, twisty little ideas, but I kind of took it to its natural conclusion. I like how we both sort of went away from Brad Pitt. Yeah, I think we were thinking... Brad Pitt's storytelling went more to Tom Cruise's side. Yeah, I think it, it's makes, it stands to reason his character is just kind of dull. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, any questions? Uh, no, I think I understand everything with that one. Good, good, good. Uh, now... Um, cool. Okay. Well, listeners' submissions. Yes, we have a lot this week. This was popular. That's so, weird because I've never heard of this film. This film is I'm, this film is very famous. It was a huge hit when it came out. Sure. No, genuinely, it was. Like, I don't, I, I've, I've spent the past maybe two weeks explaining to people what Strictly Ballroom is. Because yeah. nobody's heard of that. Oh, you just don't move in very filmy circles. I don't think. I move in filmy circles, but maybe our answer's maybe, not. Okay, maybe like not non-Marvel. When, so. when when people say that, when, sorry, when I say that, people like. Wait, do you mean Strictly Come Dancing? Like, no, hmm. that's the TV show that was that came from the movie, kind of. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, it's annoying. So no one's heard of this either? Not so far. Okay, surprising. Okay, well, our listeners did. So, first of all, Heavy Metal Horrorcast has suggested... There's a lot of title puns in mm. this, which I like. So, Heavy Metal Horrorcast, at HMHcast, a TV interview with the vampire. Okay. Lestat goes on Oprah. To talk about his conversion to Scientology. And then sort of jumping up and down on the couch. So we can see where that goes. Uh, similarly, Mark Miller, at Best Mark Miller, suggested Podcast with the Vampire. Mm. Very 2017. Mm. Uh, Dad Zone, at Cast, Interview with the Vampire 2. Uh, Lestat and, and Malloy decide to go fishing in the mountains. Mm-hmm. And they stop at a bar where Malloy is assaulted by a man who Lestat promptly kills. And then they lead the police on an epic chase from Oklahoma to New Mexico, where they're finally cornered by the police and they decide to dramatically drive their Ford Mustang out over the canyon where they fantastically fake their own deaths and fly away, still holding hands, into the night. And it's an epic adventure love story. Oh. So, have you seen the film Thelma and Louise? Yes, I have. Yes. Oh, so, yeah. Geeky Brummy, uh, at Geeky Brummy, as I suggested, Lestat, the disco era. Mm. Kind of similar to my um, Tom Ripley, the disco era from a few weeks ago. Stop taking credit. Oh, I'm just saying. <laughs> this one is, it's night and Lestat is ready to party. And... <laughs> In, in Beeb, I think, feed on the girls of, young girls of New York City. So there'll be flares and feasting. So okay. Uh, we Watch Anything, at We Watch Anything. I like this. Exit interview with the vampire. Okay. So Lestat has survived into 2013. Mm. He now works as a HR director for a casino, because mm-hmm. obviously casinos work nights. Yeah, so yeah. That makes sense. Uh, the casino is facing major cuts, though, and Lestat has to conduct all of the layoffs. So he's essentially become like a vampire David Brent figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has to lay people off, but he whinges like a petulant baby the whole time before finally meeting his de- demise when a disgruntled employee spikes his quinoa and blood salad with a 
holy water. <laughs> uh, and the next HR director is a human, but it sounds like he's even worse. And someone, uh, bloke buster suggested it might actually just be David Brent. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Oh No Lit Class, at Oh No Lit Class. Mm. Their prequel is Setting Up the Interview with the Vampire. Okay, yeah. So this is, Good. we watch a whole movie of Slater and Bra- uh, Christian Slater and Brad Pitt playing phone tag and trying to figure out the best place and times to meet. <laughs> Eventually they decide to just use Skype and uh, Louis can't get his computer's mic to work. So the interviewer decides, suggests they use Discord instead. Mm. And then they awkwardly mumble through some small talk and the interviewer is eating potato chips. And then finally they're ready to begin the interview and then the film ends. <laughs> Great. Yeah, that's good. Media Realness, at Media Realness. So Testimony of the Vampire. Mm. And this would be like True Blood. Have you seen True Blood? Nope. No, I've not watched True Blood ever, so I'm going to have to take some... I'm going to just make some assumptions here. Uh, so it's going to be like True Blood, in which vampires have been discovered by the population of humans, I guess. Mm. Yeah. So they have to hold up a meeting with all the high vamps to have like a council meeting. They don't mean highs in stone. I mean like the, <laughs> the council of the high, the high council of vampires. Uh, have, a, have a meeting and they each give tell the story of how they were individually found out by humans and what they think yeah. should happen next and how yeah. they think they should handle it. And so we see characters from the other movies, including Louis, Lestat, the vampire Christian Slater, etc. Mm-hmm. And we have some new characters offering different perspectives on how human life affects them. And basically all of these characters are drag queens from RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, so... <laughs> You don't watch people's drag races. It doesn't mean anything to you, but I liked this. So during Lestat's testimony, underneath the council, there's a famous drag queen called Alaska who's listening to Lestat's war cry, and she wakes up, and then we cut to black. Okay. If you if you'd watched RuPaul's Drag Race, you would find that funnier. But yeah. (laughs) Great. Uh, And (laughs) that 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 was my Russell Crowe. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, guys. I liked it. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I've just not watched it. Oh, and Captain Hygiene at CPTG at CPT Hygiene had the same idea as you which is a full interview with franchise with other monsters so building up a team heist through the gang infiltrating the Vatican with secret archives and yeah so I think it's oh, kind of using that dark universe thing so, nice yeah very good yeah so those are our guest submissions so yeah. if you have any um, ideas for sequels you'd like to see to interview with the vampire or any other films we've done in the past or films you'd like us to do in the future let us know we all be on the box set you can find us on most of your favourite uh, podcatchers, including iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Pocketcast, Player FM, etc. You can also go to our website, uh, beyondtheboxset.com, or contact us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. It's all Beyond the Box Set. And if you like us, please subscribe and uh, leave us a review. It really helps us to find new listeners. So, yeah. Yeah. We're up to 58. 58? Mm. All five stars? Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> that first four star is going to cut like a knife, isn't it? Right? Yes, it is. Stop talking about it. Sorry. So next week, next week's film. It's your choice, I believe. It is my choice. Okay, I've picked a good one. I have been looking forward to doing this one here. Okay, um, but did forget about it until the start of this episode. Uh, now this film was in the Oscars a while back, maybe twenty thirteen. Okay, somewhat recent. Is it The Revenant? No. Okay, that is also on my list. I, I can't. I'm, I'm looking forward to doing. Okay. Oh God, that's going to be awful. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. What is it then? Um, it's her. Her. Oh, okay. Cool. Have you seen it? No, I haven't actually. No. Oh, you've not. Oh, great. Oh, okay. So I'm looking forward to that. It's Joaquin Phoenix and mm-hmm. Scarlett Johansson. Cool. Um, yes, it's good. And there's a yeah, it's a good couple of cameos in there as well. I guess. Well, don't spoil it. You know, I love a cameo. Yeah. So. Okay. So join us next week for um, her. And yes. Yeah, thanks a lot for listening. And also, if you have any submissions for her, then yes, send them, send them through because we need to hear them. Oh, and also we always forget um, if you have any alternative readings for Ooh. her. Yes, uh, that'd be great to have some some of your opinions on that too. That's our new thing. So yeah, so the, our alternative readings are alternative imp- interpretations of the original film rather yeah. than the sequel. So yeah, maybe with a little bit of humour in there. Yeah, we tried. Always the best. Mm-hmm. One of us got it right. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Great. All right. See you all next week, guys. Bye. Bye.